So I just, I just, I love that. And I use it all the time because I feel like the last year, especially, we just with life, it's like we're, 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 we're almost out of the pandemic again. And it's like trust fall through the arms. You know, it's just like, or I could go on and on and on about how this, this, this feeling of hope, this feeling of faith, never like, it's like I never get to experience the, the, the positive outcome of it. Um, so I hope that that's a good setup for you when it comes to talking about faith today. Because w- what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to talk about, we're going to talk about faith. And we're going to come to a, a really clear biblical understanding about what it is and what it's not and then I want to spread some actual hope your way when it comes to thinking about faith. Things that you can actually do, think some, a perspective, a mindset that you can actually walk away from. So before we do that, um, before we get to the true substance of what faith is, um, I, I want, I, in preparing this and saying that, I found it really helpful to, to make some notes about what faith is not. It's one of those words that everybody uses, but it has like 50 different meanings when we use it. And so I, I want to spend some time, if you will, talking about what faith is not. And if we do that, I think we'll expose some of the false beliefs that even you and I might have um, about faith. And that will make room in our heart and in our mind for what the true definition is. So if you're a note taker, like this is your kind of sermon. Last week was not your kind of sermon. This is your kind of, of sermon. So there's lots of really clear points. So the first thing I want you to write down is this, that faith is not confidence in God to bless you in such a way that makes your life easy on earth. Faith is not confidence in God to bless you in such a way that makes your earthly life very easy. So here's the, here's the temptation. We're tempted to reason in our minds, in our hearts, that, God, that because God is good, and He is good all the time, God is good, Therefore, we reason, God can only produce good things in life that we experience in a good way. It's to believe that our lives have just one aim, and that is a life of goodness, a life of ease as we define it. That's what we think faith is. Now, yes... We all know that God wishes to bless us and that God is good in His character. But this vision of faith that our lives are supposed to be easy, that comes crashing down really quick if you'll just pull your head out of the sand and live a little, right? A life of faith is not a life of ease. It is something, it's something else. We'll come to that in a moment. But it's not that, okay? Second... Faith is not just agreeing in your mind with certain biblical truths or just certain truths, period. Okay? So in a, we, have a, a, we live in a real you know, relativistic, postmodern kind of society, and so this may be less as a love and temptation to, to assign faith, to define faith as believing in something very specific. I'll talk about that a little bit later on. But there may be some of us who are tempted to say, I have faith because I believe in these specific truths. Okay? Now, when you become a member at this church, you do agree to a statement of faith, right? So there are 
truths that we believe, that we faith. And when we are faced with certain crises in our life, one of the things that we're going to do is turn to those truths and we're going to speak them to ourselves over and over again to bolster our faith. But the fact that we have to speak truths to bolster faith inherently means there is more to faith than just the truth. Okay? So it's not just agreement with certain truths. It is not a leap into the unknown. Faith is not a blind leap into the unknown. When Indiana Jones movies. I love Indiana Jones movies. Well, most of them. Not all of them. Most of them. Most of them are pretty good. But so Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, except it wasn't the Last Crusade. You know, we had aliens come later in the 90s. So Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, this is one where Sean Connery is his father. And at the end, they're in pursuit of the Holy Grail in this movie. And at the end of this movie, there's this ancient obstacle course he's got to weave through. And at the end of the obstacle course is the Holy Grail. And if you remember in this movie, or maybe if you haven't seen it, you can watch it this afternoon. It's the perfect lazy Sunday afternoon fall asleep to movie. And at the very end, he comes to the, through this last obstacle, and there's this chasm between where he is and where he's got to be with the Holy Grail. And there's, a, there's a, you know, like a riddle that's pushing him to this point. And uh, the riddle says something about that. It, it, the riddle implies that he has to take a step of faith. There's nothing in front of him except the deepest chasm into the center of the earth. Yet on the other side of this is this promise of the Holy Grail. And uh, so Indiana Jones literally lifts his leg and he closes his eyes and he puts his whole body weight forward and he falls onto a platform. All of a sudden, a bridge has appeared um, that wasn't there before. I mean, he had tried to throw rocks and there's nothing there. But when he steps out in blind faith, all of a sudden, there is this bridge that he can then see and that he can then walk across. See, sometimes when we're, we're talking about just having faith or you just, you just need to have faith, we're saying something to ourselves like, you just need to act contrary to everything that you know to be true and just trust things that are going to work out the way that you want them to. Now, there's part of that that is true. There are elements of, of supernatural when it comes to faith. There are elements of us not understanding why things are going the way they're going and we still have to take a step forward. There's, there are elements of faith. We're going to read all kinds of examples in, the, in Hebrews 11. There are elements of faith in which to do the faithful thing runs contrary to wisdom, but we don't want to conclude that faith is the antithesis of facts. It is not the antithesis of science or grounded facts. It is not a blind leap into total unknownness. That's not what it is. And lastly, faith is not mere devotion to any God you choose. Now, this is a real problem in our culture. This is a definition of faith that suggests a particular set of beliefs is less important. What doesn't really matter what you believe. What really matters is that you really believe it. That you are sincere in your faith. That you are really committed to what it is that you believe. If it works for you, great. Just really make it work for you. And that makes it a faith commitment. So if it, if it transforms you into somebody that's more purposeful, somebody that's more virtuous, somebody that's more loving, um, if it transfer, if, if, if that, in, um, if, if, in other words, it's, it's just spirituality. In other words, you could be a Buddhist, you could be a Hindu, 
You could be a new age medicine woman. You could be very sincere and committed to those things, and that makes you a person of faith. Right? The Bible is not comfortable with that. Faith is not a degree of devotion to any God that you choose. Faith is much more specific. So that's, faith is not those things. And I'm wondering if that uncovers you know, some stuff in your life about faith, right? Or maybe you've got somebody in your mind now that the Lord is saying, uh, that last one, you know who that is. And the Spirit is leading you to be burdened for someone. Because none of these approaches to faith, faith is God's goodness to you, faith is merely a creed, faith is a blind leap, faith is a sincere devotion. None of that does justice to a true portrait of faith that is presented in Hebrews 10 and 11. Someone, knowing now what faith is not, let's look at Hebrews 11, 1 and come to a definition about what faith is. Look at the text. Hebrews 11.1 1 defines the faith this way. Faith is the, and I'm using the CSB, is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. So if you've got a pencil in your, or a highlighter that doesn't bleed through the page or something like that, underline the words reality, maybe it's got substance, something like that, and then underline the word proof. Because the cool thing about these words is that, uh, well, there are a couple of things going on. Notice it doesn't say faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof is what is not seen. That's not the way it works. It's the faith is two things, but it's two different words. Faith is two things, but it's two different words. And if you put these two words together, you get a definition and an understanding of faith that only these two words could give you. Um, and it, so it means this. It means something objective and it means something subjective. Okay? So objectively, it means that faith gives substance to the things that are hoped for. The faith that you have in what you hope for gives substance to the thing that you are hoping for. So faith is the tangible expression right here and right now of things that are not yet here and not yet now. Okay, It gives actual substance to it. But subjectively, faith gives assurance that what you are hoping for is going to come to be. So it is the substance and it is the assurance. It is, the, um, it is the substance and it is the assurance. So, it's, so here's, a, here's an illustration that I pray, Lord, I pray this is helpful and not confusing to, to all of us. So when I, I, in 1997, I drove my two-door Honda Accord EX that I couldn't believe the blessing. This thing actually had a CD player in it. And I drove from Cleveland, Mississippi in September of 1997. I took this car, I drove it all the way to Greenville, South Carolina at Furman University, where I knew absolutely no one and had a really difficult freshman year. But that's beside the point. When I drove that car, I took a lot of stuff. You can fit a lot of stuff in a two-door Honda Accord. Um, But I did not take the title to my vehicle. The car title stayed back with my dad in Cleveland, Mississippi. So I'm over here in South Carolina, and I have the privilege of of driving the car in South Carolina, using the car in South Carolina, paying for the gas, unfortunately, in South Carolina at 75 cents a gallon back then. And at the start of my freshman year, but my dad had, had the title in Cleveland. He had the privilege of owning it as an asset. Okay, 
So at the very start of my freshman year, before I drove off, I said, Dad, I'm taking this car. Thank you for the car, by the way. And I'm driving. To, so I promise I'll be back. I promise, Dad, I'll be back in November for Thanksgiving. I promise I'm coming back. So I would like for you to picture my dad at home in Mississippi, sitting in his living room chair in the den like he did every day after work. And in his hand, he's holding the title to my car. He cannot see the car. There were no smartphones and no video conferencing back then, so he could not see the car in real time, or nor could he see me. But because he owns and holds the title in his hand, my dad has both tangible, substantive proof that the car is his, and he has assurance that the car is his. So the title is the tangible expression of his reality that also gives him assurance, even though he cannot see the car in any shape, form, or fashion. That's what faith is. It is the tangible proof of the unseen that also assures you that what you believe is true and is right and is real. Faith apprehends as a real fact what is not revealed to our senses. Does that make sense? It's the, it, faith is the thing and it gives assurance of the thing that's coming. So if you break all this down, you go back at the very end of chapter 10 and the rest of the verses in Hebrews 11. You've got all these practical illustrations from the personal lives of those reading this letter. That's the end of chapter 10 that we read. And then you've got all the lives of these people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 back in the Old Testament of what that faith really looks like. And if you were to read through these passages, you would notice five things about what faith really looks like. I told you if you're a list person, you're going to love this. This is great. All right, so what do you notice about faith? If you read through Hebrews 10 and 11, as we've studied this morning, what do you, what do you know? Well, number one, faith involves action, confident action. There's a level of confidence associated with it. If you go through the examples in Hebrews 11, you see a person or people acting confidently in accordance with what God says. So by faith, Abel offers to God a superior sacrifice. Noah builds an ark. Abraham obeys by leaving familiar territory and later offering up his son Isaac. Isaac blesses his sons, and one of those sons is Isaac's great-grandsons. And on the list goes on and on and on. So depending on who you're reading about, the people of faith are conquering they are administering, they are gaining, they are shutting out, they are quenching, they are escaping, they're gaining power, or they're being routed. But faith involves, in every circumstance, confident action. It involves confident action. Second, faith involves God working extraordinary things through ordinary people. That's what faith involves. It's really easy to read through Hebrews 11 and think that they make up the Justice League or the Avengers of faith, right? But if we really stop and reflect on what's going on in this passage, we realize that there's much about those on that list that was really not admirable. Noah got wasted. Abraham lied about his wife multiple times. Isaac lied about Rebekah. Jacob, Jacob's name was deceiver, right? Moses killed a person. The people of Israel were the most ungrateful, grumbling group of people you've ever met in your life. Gideon doubted way more than he had any faith. David committed adultery. These people in the hall, so-called hall of faith are not mentioned 
in this chapter because if the totality of their lives, they were virtuous people. That's far, nothing could be further from the truth. They're held up examples of God working in their lives in extraordinary ways, even though they were quite ordinary. True faith is an extraordinary work of God expressed in quite ordinary people. These people aren't heroes because they had incredible faith or were incredible people, but because God is incredible and He chose them. He chose them and they acted on it, which means that anybody is eligible for enlistment. Anybody. Because God can do anything He wants through anybody and we can believe and act on it because He's God. Third thing that we see in Hebrews 11 is that faith works in a variety, praise God, a variety of very normal situations. If you go back and look at 10 and 11, look at the list of works that people do. Abel gave an offering. Cool. Noah built a boat. Now, granted, it was a substantial boat, but... We could probably, out of a need of survival, whittle a canoe together, right? Abraham moved his family. I have moved seven or eight times in my married life. Sarah, um, Sarah had a child. Lots of people in here have had babies, right? Defying the authorities. Choosing mistreatment above pleasure. Keeping a religious ordinance. Suffering persecution and so on. So I don't know about you but I catch myself questioning my level of faith on things that are really big and really important, and I get really worked up. I get really insecure about my lack of faith in those moments, and I'm forgetting all the other acts of faith that I actually do well. I gave an offering this month, just like Abel. I didn't try and sell my house. Praise God. You're like, whatever. Like, you could just pick something. Like, it's all, it's an act of faith. I've led family members through some challenges and so on. And you can do the same thing. Those, folks, those belong in this list in Hebrews 11. It could very well say your name and your offering here in this text because faith is not about your virtue. It is about your faithfulness and God working in and through you. It's amazing how normal faith looks through the list if you put it through that lens. Which leads me to the last thing. and I, Well, the second to last thing, but I think it's the most significant for me anyway in reading this this week. If you'll notice in this list of Hebrews 11, biblical faith results in very different outcomes for people. So sometimes the outcome is immediate and it is positive. Like, so the Israelites are standing up against the Red Sea, and instantly there is, there is faith and there is gratification for that faith. The sea is split thanks to the wind, and they walk across, and then the sea closes behind them on Pharaoh's army. Faith, instant gratification. We believed. We got the fruit of the belief right in front of us. Je, uh, the Israelites uh, marching around the walls of Jericho. They do it. They shout. They believe that this is a process. This is what God has asked them to do as a part of this battle. Instant gratification. The walls fall. The people flee, and they take the city of Jericho. Other times, there's a delay. Genesis 12. I promise you, I'm going to make you into the father of... Your name is Abram. It's the father of many. I'm going to make you the father of many. How long did he have to wait for one 
son. How long did he have to wait? Sometimes the outcome is negative. Abel gave an offering by faith and was murdered for it. He did the right thing and he suffered an injustice. What happened to the recipients of Hebrews in this letter? Look at 10.32. Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. Other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. You sympathized with prisoners. You accepted the joy with joy, the confiscation of your possessions, and on and on and it goes. They had faith and it cost them something. It was a negative outcome. So often, we equate faith with a positive outcome, and we prefer immediate positive outcomes, but biblical faith may lead to very negative or delayed outcomes. We do not judge the viability of our faith based on the outcome. We don't know that we have acted in faith if it went well for us and went well for us soon enough that we didn't have to be impatient. We do not judge faith based on the outcome. We based faith on the God who has given us his promise. Faith is ultimately, though, positively rewarded. One of the resounding points of Hebrews 11 is that God's programs look beyond the immediate to grasp the significance of the ultimate. Look at verse 2, chapter 11, verse 2. For by it, this faith, our ancestors in the Old Testament, they won God's what? Approval. That's true for Abel, who was murdered. That's true for all the things, all the negative outcomes that came out for all the people in the Old Testament. They earned God's Approval. They got God's ultimate positive outcome reward by being with Him. Um, again, at the end of chapter 11, verse 39, after going through the whole list, what does He say? He says, All of these were approved through their faith, even though they didn't receive what was promised. That is, they didn't get to experience Jesus like we got to experience, but they ultimately got, had received God's approval. So faith is the reality of what is hoped for. It is the proof of what is not seen. It is the tangible proof of the unseen that simultaneously assures you that what you believe is true and right and real. Faith apprehends as a real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Faith is confidence that results in action carried out in all kinds of situations by ordinary people in response to an unseen God and His promises. And the outcomes are going to vary, but the ultimate outcome is God Himself, and that is a great reward. That is a great reward. So what? So what? I want to give you two things to to do with this today. Number one, keep your confidence through all circumstances. Hebrews 10, 35. Don't throw away your, underline this word, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. That word confidence is the same word that you and I looked at last week in Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have 
boldness, same Greek word. I don't know why they translate it differently. Confidence. So the author is saying to us that when circumstances get difficult and that we are tested to believe that faith is only faith, that the outcome is positive and immediate, don't throw away or easily discard the confidence. Don't easily discard, don't throw away the boldness that you can have to get in there with God because of the work of Jesus. Don't throw it away. Your reward is certain. Keep your confidence. Keep your boldness. Keep your access to speak your mind to God. It's the first thing we want to throw away when things aren't going well for us. When hardness comes, when circumstances strike, when suffering comes, we go, God must not love us. When the truth of the matter is, if you look at the cross, where the greatest suffering on this earth that ever took place, it was the moment that God was demonstrating His love for us. Don't throw away your confidence when suffering comes. Get in there. Get in there. Your reward is certain. Keep it. An illustration. I have a friend who, uh, back in 2008, 2009... Do you remember the worst recession ever? Like, I mean, that was brutal. I don't know if you're the adults from this room. It was brutal. And we were moving at the, that we moved in November of 2008. Like it, how we got out of our home is a miracle in and of itself. But we, but we did. But, but the stock market just got destroyed. And uh, the housing crisis and all those, all those things. And I had a friend who in that moment had about, I can't remember, he, he bought 100 shares of, or 200 shares of, of Apple stock. And uh, it kind of, you know, waffled a little bit. And then he, he got to the place where he made like, you know, 20, 25% on it, and he sold it. He, it was like $80, and he it made like $10, $15 a share, and it was like $105. He's like, okay. and then it kind of waffled. He's like, you know what, I, I'm out, I'm out. He did the math a couple months ago with me. It was like he was going to have $7 million today. Keep your confidence. What you have in the throne room is way better than what you have in the stock market. Keep your confidence. Okay? And number two, speak truth to yourself. Oh, speak truth to yourself. The example list of Hebrews 11, we, we use the word hall of faith, and therefore we associate them with the Peyton Mannings of football or whatever, and we think they're really heroic people. And if you're, and if you're not careful, there's a real danger that, that you see Abraham and you see David and you see Abel and you see them all as different from you, as special, more special than you, because after all, they are in the Bible. And therefore, we must be too normal, too worldly, too powerless to live a life of extraordinary faith. But that completely misses the point of this passage. The point of this passage is to equate Abraham with you. It is to equate Abel with you. It is to equate David with you. You are with these people. In fact, and if you go on in chapter 12, what does he say? He refers back to them as a great cloud of witnesses who are watching who? You and me. They're watching us. We're in the game. They're retired. And they, we're the players now, just like they were. So, so don't, don't lie to yourself that 
that faith is for the super spiritual. No, that's not true. You and Abraham are on par together. He calls you with your habits and your hangups and your acne and all that stuff. He calls it all. He calls you to action. Step out. Believe. <laughs> Believe. Do the mundane acts of faith. Let's pray together. Lord, may it be so. Uh, may it be so. May we look at this wonderful, wonderful list of, of individuals that you have given us in this passage and, and see, not, see not heroes that we need to live up to, but... but guys and girls just like us, just like us. And, and ultimately what makes them people that we can follow or examples for us is it just, it's just one mundane illustration after another that we need to have faith regardless of the outcome and we need to trust in your providence and your sovereignty, which we can do if we look to the cross. Like that's the thing, like the most unjust, evil thing in this whole world that ever took place in the universe that ever took place was also the place where the greatest act of love and the greatest act of atonement and the greatest act of mercy and the greatest act of grace was taking place. So you are worthy to be trusted. We can have faith and trust the outcomes to you knowing that eventually we will be approved. We will be approved. So Father, make us people who are approved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.